The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey there, and welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker, the show where we talk about the Republican Party's attempts to pass some sort of health care legislation, which finally appear to have collapsed into wreckage this week. I'm Jordan Weissman, Slate's economics correspondent. And I'm Jim Newell. I cover Congress for Slate. Everything went off the rails on Monday. Monday night after work hours, unfortunately. I was off consoling a friend about a breakup and decided to like turn off my phone for essentially two hours. And then I looked down at the end of it my beat just exploded while I wasn't paying attention. Jim, That's all right, Jordan. I covered it for you. Thanks for swinging in there. So <laughs> how would you describe just what went down? What would be your, if you had to sum it up in a sentence, Trump Care's apparent demise? The floor fell through. This legislation was always a strong gust of wind from just collapsing entirely. You know, last week we had two senators, the most they could afford to lose, come out immediately against it. Yeah. Rand Paul and Susan Collins. And then we were waiting on a third one for a while. And, you know, it's hard to get that third one because you don't want to be the one that kills the legislation. So I was starting to wonder if, you know, maybe no one would have the, the spine to go through with it, even though a lot of them hated the bill. So then on Monday night, uh, Mike Lee, senator from Utah, and Jerry Moran, senator from Kansas, came out together. So, you know, neither one of them could be pinned as the one who killed it. And they each said they would vote no on this procedural vote to go through. So that left Senator Short. Once you break that barrier, then you're going to have all sorts of people coming out complaining about it. That was the gust of wind, just two people coming out and being like, eh, I don't think I'm going to vote for it. And the bill fell through. Yeah, I, you know, I wrote a piece and I, I said it, it felt almost like watching ice fall off the wall of a glacier. <laughs> you're seeing the cracks form and you're like, this thing looks like it's about to collapse. It's all about to fall apart. You're not really sure when it's going to happen. Then all of a sudden, just like with a just crash, just like a really violent boom, it, it just all went to hell. And just all at once it was over or it seemed to be over. We have to preface all of this by saying, you know, what is dead cannot die, as, as they put it in Game of Thrones. <laughs> like this bill could always possibly maybe be resurrected. It's never really over until it's truly over. And next week, they're going to try and vote on a clean semi-repeal of the Affordable Care Act. They're going to bring back the bill they passed in 2015 that was then vetoed by Barack Obama. But even that looks like it's probably going to go nowhere because three women in the Senate, Murkowski, Capito, and Collins, have, have said they're going to vote no on the motion to proceed. Is, is that, Jim, is there any chance that that's going to change, that maybe somehow this, this vote to just do a, a straight-up repeal without replacement will maybe happen? Well, it could. But just stepping back, you know, a minute, on that money, after the Better Care Reconciliation Act, the repeal and replace bill fell apart, McConnell, he announced that we would just go to so-called straight repeal, which is that 2015 bill. That was dead before lunch yesterday, because you had those three <laughs> women come out against it. And I, I, I believe Rob Portman has come out against it now, too. So they had a, a long lunch meeting yesterday, the Senate conference, which I guess got a little intense. I mean, they're still saying that they're going to move ahead with this vote that does not have the votes. And I think they're pretty hard nose against this. I mean, it's probably much more than four. There's probably, I don't know, we were doing like over-unders on the Hill yesterday. And most people were thinking it maybe has 45 votes at best. I guess the latest development is that our president, yeah. Donald Trump, yes. thinks that he can solve this. Yes. So he has invited all of the GOP senators over for lunch today 
and apparently he thinks he can twist the arms and get them <laughs> to vote for this thing. When he or literally like, does not know it's in the bill, still. As he far doesn't as know it's <laughs> in the bill. He thinks he could just, like, charm up to these women, probably. He's probably just going to make gross come-ons to them or something, and that's going <laughs> to backfire awfully. I think it was Sean Hannity who said they should put all, all the senators in a hot room without air conditioning and make them eat KFC, Pizza Hut, and I, like McDonald's. Wendy's. Wendy's. That's right. And Wendy's until they come up with a bill. Here's what you Republicans in Congress need to do. This is my recommendation to you. You're all pretty lazy. Both chambers need to get together. We'll start with the Senate. 52 members, get in a room. By the way, turn off the air conditioner. Start sweating like the rest of America. You know what? Use fans like our, our founding fathers and framers did. And you know what? No Senate dining room uh, uh, food and fare for you. How about order some pizza? Get some fast food. Get some KFC, some Wendy's, and here, burger. I'll even send beer and Coke and Sprite. And you know what? Don't leave the room until you do your job and come out and say, we have come to an agreement and we have a bill that we can put on President Trump's desk. I couldn't tell if that was like, if I, that I was a... I couldn't really tell what that meant. Was it a it's fart not, joke? Not, was that the idea? Was it just like a really, really you know, elaborate fart, fart joke? I, I guess that's... it is. You know, it'd be nice if there's air conditioning, but you have lots of, you know, delicious junk food. That's where we've reached in American politics, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get too deep in, into just the absurdity of the situation, what do you think is what did this bill in? There's the broad issue that they couldn't really seem to agree on anything, right? There are just like big divides over, you know, what to do with Medicaid. Should we be kind of pairing Obamacare back or repealing it entirely? But then what what seemed to finally be the, the last straw was almost this really arcane sounding technical policy disagreement over whether or not there was going to be a, quote, single risk pool in the individual market. You know, I wrote about this and I thought this issue was sort of all just like a political fig leaf. It sort of seemed like, or as I put it in one piece, window dressing to kind of win over some moderates without really any practical implications. But it seems to have lost Lee's support. We can talk more about the single risk pool, but do you think that was really it? Or do you think there were just deeper issues he had with the bill and that was what he was citing? He definitely had deeper issues. He was yeah. not happy with the whole framework. But if you look at the Lee statement versus the Moran statement, mm-hmm. you know, Lee's had a discreet ask in it. He was like, we should not have the single risk pool requirement in this version of the consumer freedom amendment we have in the bill. So I read Lee's statement first. I was like, okay, well, he's just trying to exert a little more leverage. You know, maybe they can figure this out. But Moran's statement was, I won't vote for this. We need to start fresh. Yeah, I don't know if he had a more discreet ask, you know, that he was considering, but he didn't put it there. And I think that that made it three hard no's and then a lot of other people who just didn't want to go through with this. I I mean, I think if you zoom out, you know, the reason why they're unable to do this, like you were saying, they just did not have consensus on this. They had a slim margin for error. You had to get 96 percent of the senators and you have some senators who really did want to repeal all of Obamacare, which, to be fair, they all ran on. And, you know, some people apparently don't want to do that. You have a one center in Rand Paul who basically doesn't think that the federal government should spend money on health care. Yeah. And then you have at the <laughs> other end of the caucus, you know, you have people who are mostly fine with Obamacare, would like to do some fixes, but, you know, certainly don't want to do all the cuts that were in this bill plus entitlement reform on a partisan basis. Yeah. And that's what made it so hard. And, you know, there's a lot of... um you know, hit pieces coming out of Mitch McConnell today about how he's, you know, lost his reputation or whatever. And I enjoy all of those hit pieces and no one deserves them more. But <laughs> this was a very hard thing. It, when you sort of zoom back, I mean, it's there's no way that a bill like this 
that takes so many benefits away, that's polling at 12%, that takes a trillion dollars of healthcare spending, should have gotten through one House of Congress and almost gotten through a second one. I mean, that's a lot of political will there trying to get that through. It just didn't quite make it. Yeah, in a way, it sort of says something nice about the health of our democracy, which is rare, which is that a truly, truly epically unpopular bill will still have trouble getting through Congress, even if there are some ideological partisans who really want to pass it. Even if there's like a, a weird political logic where the leadership of a party really thinks it's a must pass, the other loathsomeness of the legislation might stop it in its tracks, which is good. I guess I also want to come back to the single risk pool just for listeners to get a sense of, of what Lee was talking about. In a lot of ways, I think it encapsulates this whole healthcare debate we've seen over the last several months. So this was part of what we've talked about before, the Cruz Amendment, the the part of the bill that allowed insurers to sell unregulated health insurance plans that could be priced based on people's health as long as they also sold Obamacare compliant plans. I think we've talked about in like three different episodes now. So I won't bore you with by repeating everything we've already mentioned about it. But the idea behind this, as it was originally proposed by Cruz and also Mike Lee, who helped come up with it, was that healthy people could pay less for insurance by buying unregulated plans and sick people would end up probably paying a bit more for insurance by going and buying Obamacare compliant plans that would cost more, but also some people would get subsidies, et cetera, et cetera. The version of this that got put in the bill had this little caveat, which said that the entire insurance market within each state had to be part of one risk pool. And now a risk pool is the group of customers that insurance companies use to calculate the cost of their health plans, that they, they average all these people's health costs together. That's part of the actuarial process we use to determine the cost of the insurance that we're going to offer. Now, we could get really deep into this, but most health experts looked at this and said, that's not really going to make a big difference for most people because there's still going to be these unregulated plans that they can adjust the prices up and down based on whether people are healthy or not, you know, whether they have cancer or diabetes or, you know, they're 26 years old and only eat raw food, whatever. As long as you're adjusting based on health, it didn't really matter whether or not there was one risk pool in the eyes of, of most experts who looked at this, except maybe if regulators interpreted the rule in a way that could in the future put the unregulated health plans out of business, which might happen under a Democratic administration down the line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? This, this is all extremely arcane and very hypothetical. But what it came down to is you had this provision that a lot of people thought would make absolutely no difference. And Ted Cruz was walking around selling this to the moderates and saying, look, healthy people are going to be protected because it's all one risk pool, just like today. And then you had Mike Lee saying, actually, I think this one risk pool is going to ruin everything. It's going to ruin our whole plot. <laughs> and, right. and then you have healthcare experts saying, actually, none of this makes any difference at all. And it's all just kind of farcical. It's all about camouflage. And it seems to have sunk the bill, which is just yeah, amazing to me. Cruz wanted, you know, the, the segmented risk pools, but he sort of accepted that the price of getting this amendment in his bill was the single risk pool because, you know, that might look nice to moderates or whatever. Yeah. But you know, it doesn't make any sense. I, I do think there's another one of these examples, which we've seen, you know, in the House and Senate debates where conservatives may have the more uh, draconian or you're on your own view of this, but they at least do have the somewhat more consistent policy vision. So you have these things where if you're going to deregulate the markets, then you can't really do these half measures. You sort of have to go all the way because it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. 
I mean, we've seen that recurring a lot. Yeah. In the House, you also had this sort of camouflage effect going, right? You had uh, the Upton Amendment, which threw just like a, a utterly insignificant amount of money at people with pre-existing conditions <laughs> in return for, you know, potentially mass deregulation through state waivers. And so, you know, th- that seemed to work in the House. I- in the Senate, the-, the attempt at camouflaging what was actually going on blew up. The argument was over something that nobody was even really sure if it would matter. To Lee's credit, he actually said that in his op-ed explaining his decision to vote no. He just, in the end, said, I'm not even willing to risk this backfiring, this failing. And so maybe in the end, that that speaks just his greater problems with the bill. This was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. There were too many problems with something that could potentially become a half measure in his eyes, something that might potentially sabotage his best efforts to allow healthy people to buy cheaper insurance than sick people. He wasn't willing to go along with the plan. So, you know, he had some convictions there. The bill seems to be sunk for now. But there's a part of me that's a little nervous because it feels like we've seen this movie before, right? In the House, the bill was dead until it wasn't. It seems deader this time. It it feels deader. But, you know, there's still a possibility the hand is going to, like, you know, burst through the grave at the last second, you know, and try to take away people's Medicaid. So, uh, Jim, do you feel like I'm just being anxious for no good reason or? No, I'm anxious for no good reason also. I mean, I'm actually anxious <laughs> because Mitch McConnell, even though his reputation has been sort of revealed to be maybe a little overrated in this process, you know, I still wondering back ahead, like, he's got a trick, like he's got something to, <laughs> to you know, figure yeah. this out. One theory is that, and I, I think there's some truth to this, maybe this being the plan. I'm not sure how well it worked because other senators sort of can read onto it. So what they're going to do is they're going to bring up the idea that McConnell announced. They're going to, uh, bring up the House bill. They're going to do a procedural motion on that. And then the First Amendment they're going to add is the 2015 repeal-only bill. Yeah. So they set it up as this, you know, we're going to vote instead on repeal-only. But I was wondering if it, you know, this could just be a ruse to try and get conservative objectors onto the bill, at which point they could do anything. They could be like, this will be the First Amendment. So that gets, you know, Rand Paul, gets Mike Lee, Jerry Moran, all the conservative holdouts on board. So maybe this amendment that they have fails, this this repeal-only amendment fails, but then they're still on the bill. They'll still be in a voterama. So they could still keep voting, and then Mitch McConnell could just put in at the end this, you know, a substitute amendment where it's whatever legislation he wants. That is, I think, his last trick. I mean, it's, it's a Hail Mary. And I, I think this is why moderates are part of the reason why they're objecting to even getting on the bill, because they see it as some sort of trap. It's a trap! Yeah. They're doing an Admiral Akbar right now. They're nervous. I mean, I don't blame them. Mitch McConnell may not be able to negotiate legislation. There's no evidence he can really do that. But we know he's really good at congressional procedure. That is his bread and butter. And so it does seem like he would sort of fall back to that maybe. That he would say, okay, I'm going to dip back into that well one last time and see if I can come up with like the ultimate procedural trick to end Obamacare. But you said before, it seems like the people... The, the senators who were saying no on the motion to proceed are pretty firm no's at this point. Yeah, and just the, the process seems to have moved on a little bit. I mean, Lamar Alexander, who is the, the chairman of the health committee, announced yesterday that he's going to start holding hearings on individual market stabilization once Senate votes are over, meaning he probably doesn't think much about those Senate votes' ability to pass. So I think that, you know, there are a lot of senators who have been wanting the bipartisan look at this and a more open process look at this who are sort of moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, I, but I, who knows? Who knows uh, what, 
what the master deal maker will say at lunch today. Yeah, right. Donald J. Trump. You know, I'm sure he'll tell them something that they've never thought of before and just gets them in love with this bill. I mean, I'm sure he'll say something they've never heard before. <laughs> that's, well, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, good point. So speaking of Lamar Alexander, he is talking about trying to stabilize the markets. Do you think there's any possibility of a bipartisan compromise there? Is there even a glimmer of hope that actually happens? I mean, it could. They don't want to just throw money at the problem without making any reforms. So I think they would have to ask, you know, Democrats to give at least a little bit on that area. But I think we talked about this in another episode. Like, this will probably get whittled down anyway to something that looks like throwing money at insurance companies. Yeah. I think that could pass the Senate relatively easily, but it's going to be hard to get Paul Ryan to take up that bill because a lot of his House members are really not going to like it. But that's a little bit further down the road. I mean, I, I think that they will try and do something to stabilize the markets in this Congress. So on that note, we've come to, I think, the final segment of the show. Ordinarily, we call this part, is this shit really happening? But I think today we're going to call it, is it dead? We're just going to ask, is the bill dead? I, uh, um, I'm not saying fully dead. Fully dead beyond any reasonable measure. It's sort of in zombie phase right now where... They still have one last shot at figuring this out. We're going to get a vote on this, I think, early next week, even if they don't have the numbers. So I, I think until that happens, we should probably not talk about it as a thing of the past. Yeah. So you're not sure. I'm going to say I think it's dead and I'm willing to place a wager on it. I think this really is over, even though I do have this ambient sense of anxiety. And I am willing to bet a fairly prized possession. I would bet my stand mixer, my Cuisinart. I like that Cuisinart. I'd bet my Cuisinart on it being dead. I'd even throw in the nice pasta-making attachment. And with that, we will bring uh, today's episode of the Trump Care Tracker to a close. We will at least be having one more show on Friday, possibly one next week after the vote. Stick with us while we continue covering the, I guess, the epilogue of this whole insane process. Our producer on this show is June Thomas. I'm Jordan Weissman. Jim, it's been nice chatting with you. Yeah, good talking to you. The, the end is near. The end is nigh.